Okay, today we are back in the book of 1 John. If you're with us for the first time, uh, maybe you, you weren't aware, maybe you came last week, we were in a different book on, on Mother's Day. We are, we're going through the book of 1 John and considering really what this apostle was writing to these believers about what this Christian faith looks like and, and in, in some respects what it looks like in contrast to what was being taught to these believers. There were some, some false teachers who were trying to present some other ideas about what it means to follow Jesus, saying things like, well, yes, the gospel, the good news about what he's done is great, but there's this other secret knowledge. There's these other things that you can tap into, maybe participate with, to go to the next level spiritually. And John is going to come back and call us back to the same message that, that he had shared in the gospel of, of John, that he's taught in the churches orally, and that he's, he's sharing here in 1 John. It's the same message that Jesus came, God became man, he lived a perfect life, he died a, a death in our place for our sins, and he calls us to live in a similar manner, trusting in Jesus and loving our neighbors and our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's really ultimately a simple message. Trust in God Believe in Jesus, love your brothers and sisters. Trust in God, believe in Jesus as, the, as God himself, and, and love your brothers and sisters. And we've, we've heard him speak over the last two chapters about this. And if you've been reading, this section is, it's kind of an interesting section. I'm, I'm talking about chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. Because in most Bibles, it, it, it goes from kind of paragraph form to this almost uh, versification, poetic stanza type of, of presentation. If you look in your Bibles, you can see it. Uh, maybe on, it's, it's indented. It just looks different. And, and it's interesting because this section is it's different enough, and it's not complicated, but it's, it's a little bit ambiguous for, for readers, so much so that I read through several commentaries and... and <laughs> I came away realizing that people, they, 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 they don't know exactly, not, not what he's saying, but there are a lot of opinions across a lot of uh, writers. And so the big thing that we're going to come away with, though, that everyone agrees upon, that we can see clearly in Scripture, is that we are going to be encouraged because our sins are forgiven, because we know God, and because we've overcome the evil one. He's going to encourage you and me He's going to bring us back to some basic realities and encourage us in our faith because he's going to go on in chapter, in, uh, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 to tell us to, to not live as, as lovers of the world. And he's going to call us to live a countercultural lifestyle. But in preparation for that, he's going to say, guys, be encouraged. And maybe you're in this room and, and you're, you're discouraged by your life. You're discouraged by your faith. Maybe, maybe this week you, you know, you're, you lost your temper at, a, at an employee or a, or a coworker, and, and you got frustrated, or, or maybe you, you, you're just upset or sad because of something that's going on in your life. You can't seem to bring, bring, uh, turn that corner, spiritually speaking. Maybe you're waiting for, for financial provision, and, and, and you're, you're in a precarious circumstance, and, and you're not encouraged. Or maybe you're just looking at your life and, and saying, you know, where's the progress, God? You know, where's the progress? 
And John is going to come to us, and he's going to say, you know what? We're not talking about these false teachers right now. We're talking about you, and I want you to be encouraged. So we're going to read John's words, and we're going to be encouraged that our sins are forgiven, that we know God, and that we've overcome the evil one. So would you stand with me as we read the word of God together? This is out of 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. Verse 12, I am writing to you, little children, because our sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you as your children, those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And Lord, we ask for you to, by your spirit, encourage us, motivate us, create momentum in our souls to further commit to a lifestyle of faith because we know what you've done in our lives, because of the the relationship you've established, that we know the Father, that we know the Son, because of the the record of, of righteousness that we've received from Christ, we are now forgiven and because ultimately in, in your salvation, we have overcome the evil one. That no matter the, the accusation that comes to our life, Lord, we can say, no, 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 Christ has done something in me. Holy Spirit, would you do something in this moment to cause us to feel and, and, and receive the impact that John is trying to give us? That our hearts would be impacted in such a way that we would be encouraged, that the weight of sin would be taken off our shoulders, that, that, that the sense of your love for us would, would cause us to be grounded in our faith, and that there'd be a sense of gospel momentum to, to move forward in greater levels of obedience, of faith, of, of, of bravery and courage to live this life in a manner that pleases you. I pray that for myself and for this congregation, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Please be seated. Thank you. Now, as I said, John has spent the last two chapters kind of prepping us for this moment, talking about how we ought to live and, and, and saying things like, you know, if you say that you haven't sinned, you're a liar. If you say that you don't sin or you don't have sin, he begins to, to kind of dismantle take apart the, the arguments of his opponents. And he's been kind of going at them for a period of time, and, and the audience, the, the listener, and we ourselves could begin to, to almost internalize some of the things that he's saying, okay, well, uh, what about me? What about me? And, and here he's taking this moment to say, you know what, I'm going to speak to you, the believers in the room, those who, who know and love and follow Jesus Christ, and I'm gonna, I want to encourage you. Now, I want to say some specific things about the, the text as a whole so that we can kind of orient ourselves around it, and then we're going to go kind of verse by verse and talk about it. Uh, first of all, I, he, he, he had 
addresses what looks like three different groups, right? He talks about little children in verse 12, and then he repeats that in verse 13, the latter part of verse 13. Little children, I write to you children. Then he talks about fathers, I'm writing to you fathers, and then he goes on and says, uh, I I write to you uh, young young men. And, And we ought to ask the question, okay, who are those people? Who's he writing to? And, and there are a plethora of options. There are those who believe this is three separate groups within the church. He's, he's kind of writing to the children, then he's, or, or maybe those who are maybe young in the faith, either those who are actually young or those who are young in the faith. Then he's writing to the fathers, or, or maybe it's the older men, the elder men, the statesmen in the house. And then he's writing to the young men. And there's almost a sense of, of continuity, of of. of Agreement, you know, the older men, they, they know the Father, they've lived a long life, uh, they, they've, they've walked with God, and, and they know God. Maybe that's what he's talking about. And then the young men, they, they're, you know, youth is, is, is characterized by strength and by vitality and by action. And so, you know, young men, you've overcome the, the evil one. Now, the challenge with this view is that... Uh, it doesn't make a ton of sense because what he has said is of each of the groups is true of really any believer. You know, we've all received forgiveness if we've trusted in Jesus Christ. We've all known him who is from the beginning, talking about Jesus Christ. We've all overcome the evil one in Christ. And so, you know, I, I, while that sounds compelling initially, I, I don't think that that's necessarily the the case. What I think he's doing here, first of all, is that when he talks about children, that, that's something that he's used as language to address us many times thus far, right? I'm writing to you little children. I'm writing to you little children. I'm writing to you my children. And, and here he's doing the same thing, and I think he's addressing us as a church body, as a congregation, as a whole. And then when he says fathers and, and young men, I don't think he's actually speaking, you know, fathers only, not mothers, young men only, not, not young ladies. I think he's speaking to those who are maybe more mature and reflecting something that's true of those who are more mature in the faith and those who are maybe less mature in the faith, but still, these are things that are true of us all in Christ. Does that make sense? The reason I'm saying this is because I want you to understand that these encouragements are for you, whether... Man or woman, young or old, these encouragements can be applied to your life if you are trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. These are for you. And so let's look at verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. Now I want to pause again and say, John, John's, he's such a kind, a kind father. He's a kind Apostle. He's a, he's a kind teacher. You know, he uses that word technia. Uh, the, the word for, for child, one of the words for child is, is techna. And so technia is like the diminutive, like little children. You know, oh, baby. You know, sweetie. You know, the, 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 the little, you know, little guy. He, he addresses us and, and, it's very likely that he's very old in this book, and he's certainly older than, than most, if not all, of the, the people who are receiving this letter. And he's saying to them, little children, 
And, and that reflects something of the devotion and the affection that God our Father has for you. Whether you are 65 or you're 32 or you're four, when God looks at his children, he says, Technia, little one, little child, he loves you. You know, I, I, I reflect on it often because sometimes and there's, there's background noise, and, or not noise, there's background children, they're not noise, it's, it's the sound of little people, and I, I express how I, I love it, and I like little people. In, in the Barnes household, babies are, they're a family value. We, we like little people. My mom, she's, she loves babies. She's never seen a baby that she didn't need to hold right then. Like, oh, give me that child. And, and there's something about little people that's just... You, you, you dote on them and you, you do things that you wouldn't otherwise do. You, you talk in, in, in silly language, you know. Uh, the biggest of men with the broadest of shoulders could all of a sudden just become very goo-goo-ga-ga in the presence of a little one. And that, that reflects something of the love that God has for us, that the creator of the universe, the maker of the heavens and earth, the one who judges the, the, the righteous and the wicked, looks at you and says, dear child, dear child. He says, dear children, your sins, I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. You know, if we're not careful, we can begin to take lightly the realities of the gospel. And he, and he just kind of steps back and reminds us, hey, I'm, I'm writing to you because, or I'm writing to you that the your sins are forgiven. Not like, the, not like those who have been saying, I don't sin. If, if you say that I don't sin or I don't have sin or haven't sinned, then you're a liar and you're still in condemnation. No, but, but for those of you who, are, who have embraced Christ, those of you who have, have looked at the cross and seen his blood shed and his body broken and recognized that that was on your behalf because of your sin, your sin has been forgiven. <clears throat> and... In, in the original language, the tense form of that word, have forgiven, it has some implications. You know, there are different ways you can say that something happened in the past in, in Greek. And, and one of the ways you can say it is, it's, what's, it's called the perfect tense, but it doesn't matter. The point is that when we see it in this tense, it means that it's a past action, something that happened in the past. We have been forgiven, but it has a... A, an implication for our present state, forgiven. So it's something that happened in the past, but, but it has implications presently. It's not like you were forgiven, but your status now is still in question. You know, sometimes we live life as though that was the case. I know, God, you forgave me for that stuff, but, but right now, I, I don't know. What do I need to do to get into your good graces, God? And John says, no, You've been forgiven, and you are presently forgiven. Presently, you are forgiven. If you are in Christ, there's a, there's a boldness, there's, there's a confidence that John calls you to. This is not for the person who is, is habitually in sin or, or, or is lightly thinking about Jesus Christ. This is for the, the, the believer whose conscience is, is, is bruised and is, is weak and, and who, who says, God... I, I just don't know. I, you know, I know that you've forgiven me, but, but may, have I blown it this time? Is this too much for you? 
And John would say, you have been forgiven. You presently are forgiven. And why? Why, why are we forgiven? Well, you know, because you've, you've cleaned up your life. And you've, you've stopped cussing. You've stopped lying and cheating. And you're doing better. No, he doesn't say any of that. He says, your sins are forgiven for his namesake. His namesake, referring to Jesus Christ. John is saying that, that because of Jesus, you know, for his, the sake of his name, for the sake of the honor and, and the, the glory of Jesus Christ, for the sake of himself, when we see the, the name of Jesus, it represents the person and authority of Jesus. And he says, for his name's sake, I'm going to forgive you. And that, that gives us a picture of what God sees when he looks at you and me. We, we, we think in our shame, in, in our, the accusation that comes to us as Christians, that, that when God sees us, he sees our wickedness. He sees the indwelling sin. And there is indwelling sin. There is sin that still remains that we have to fight on a daily basis. But that's not what he's talking about. No, he says that when God sees you, Jesus steps into the picture and says, I'm going to vouch for that one. For his namesake, God the Father says, I forgive you. I'm going to give you a, a, a status of forgiven. You have access to the Father. The writer of Hebrews talks about how we have access to the throne of grace because of the work of Jesus Christ. It's for his name's sake. That ought to give you and me encouragement and hope. It's not because of anything that you do. You can't work your way into God's favor. And so in Christ, you can't work your way out. So there's not something that you can do in a moment and say, oh no, am I forgiven? For Christ's namesake, you are forgiven. Now he's going to address the fact that, that this is not cheap or easy grace and that there is, there's a costliness to it and the cost is the son, Jesus Christ. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 2, he says this, verses 1 and 2, he says, My little children, there's that phrase again, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sin. Jesus, he takes away the wrath of God over our sin. And when we hold that reality true, it ought to lead us to a lifestyle of less and less sin. And as we walk out that life, when our sin or the enemy condemns us, we can say, no, 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 I have been forgiven. I have been forgiven. I write to you, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. Then in verse 13, he goes on and says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. And he, he repeats the same thing in verse 14. I'm right, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Now again, we could try and figure out, and we ought to try and figure out who he means by from the beginning. I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you, I believe it, he's talking about Jesus. Because in chapter one, he talks about that which was from the beginning, talking about Jesus Christ. And in John chapter one, he talks about the word which was with God and was God and he was in the beginning with God. So he's saying, fathers, you know, those of you who are mature in the faith, there's, there's a greater level of intimacy, of knowledge that you have 
about, about the Father. But this is not encyclopedia knowledge. This is not Wikipedia knowledge. This is not uh, rote memorization knowledge. Certainly that comprises part of it, that makes up part of it, but, but the knowledge that he's talking about, it's, it's this experiential, relational knowledge. You know the Father. You know him as Father. Why do we know him as Father? But because he has adopted us as his children. Paul, in, in reflecting on this, says in Ephesians, uh, Galatians, this is, this is where technology helps, but Galatians, Ephesians, verse 5, he says, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. You see, in, in Jesus Christ, we know God, not as God alone, but as Father, as, as King Daddy. We know him as the one who's adopted us into his family, who's taken us under his wing, who's given us a new name, who's given us a, a new spirit so that we might be able to live and reflect that name. You know, as I said, Barnes Family Values, we love little people. And so if my little kids, if my, if my children get around babies, they want to hang out with the baby. We want to babysit the baby. We want to talk to the baby because we care about babies. That's, that's the nature and character of the Barneses. And the nature and character of Christ reflects the nature and character of the Father. And he has called us his children and he's brought us into his family through the Son, Jesus Christ, whom we know. We know Jesus. We know him. This is not just, this is not just a, a, a knowledge of a person, but this is an experience of a brother. You know, in, in James, in the book of James, he talks about the kind of knowledge that sometimes we think about. You know, oh, I know that fact, but it has no bearing on my own life. He says, you know what? The demons know who Jesus is, and they shudder. So there's a kind of knowing that is, it's, it condemns you. There's a kind of knowing about God, knowing about Jesus, that actually puts you in a place of danger. But when we know Jesus, who, the one who is from the beginning, and, and we know in such a way that we say, you know what, you are God, I am not, and we bow our knee to him, we, we submit ourselves to him, we trust in him, that knowledge brings us into the family, that knowledge creates relationship, that knowledge allows us to, to look at him as our elder brother and to look at God as our father. He says, I'm writing to you, or I write to you, because you know him who is from the beginning. You know, one of the funny things about maturing in Christ is that although we, we want to always be thankful for the, the, the forgiveness that we've received in Christ, I think God's hope is that that wouldn't be the sole focus of our salvation. That's really the, the doorway, the entryway into what? Into relationship. You know, in Genesis Adam and Eve, they walked with God. They were in unbroken fellowship, relationship, connect. They were hanging out. They were hanging out with God. And, and what happened when sin entered into it? They hid from God. The relationship was broken. And what did God do? He called them out 
He addressed their sin. He covered over their sin, right, with, with animal skins. The, the, an animal had to die. Blood had to be shed to cover their sin, foreshadowing. And then, then he was in relationship with them once again. He restored relationship with them. We, we, we come to appreciate the fact that the gospel brings us into more than just salvation from sin and hell, but into relationship. And sometimes, family, you get bored of Christianity because you've reduced it to not going to hell. You get bored of reading your Bible because you've reduced it to the thing I do to pay God back for what he's done for me. You get tired of going to church and hearing me speak because you're, you're like, I'm done. I did the thing. It's done. And God is saying, no, no, there's so much more. You could know me. You could know me. You know Christ. He goes on in verse 13 and he says, that I'm writing to you young men because you've overcome the evil one. There's a, there's a vitality that he speaks of. There's a, there's a fighting in our, our growing maturity in God. And, and what's interesting here, and, and it's, it's d- dramatic. He says, I'm writing to you because you have overcome the evil one. That's the same past tense that we saw when it talked about you have been forgiven. You have been forgiven, present state of forgiveness. He says, you have overcome the evil one. You were presently an overcomer. You know, we get it the other way around so often. I have to stand against my sin. I have to fight the evil one so that I will be accepted. I will be an overcomer. I, I, I will be able to do all these things. And God's saying, you know what? I've done the heavy lifting. I've done the heavy lifting. You are forgiven. Therefore, work your life out of that identity. You are an overcomer. Therefore, work your life out of that identity. Christianity is a different, it's a reverse type of, of living. You know, most of the time, you know, I want to be a writer, so I need to write, 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 write until the point where I, which I can say, you know what, I'm a writer. And I've got all of this evidence to prove it. Christianity says, no, I am forgiven, therefore I live life as though I'm forgiven. I am, I am, am an overcomer because of Christ, therefore I live life as though I am an overcomer. I don't have to do these things in order to get to that position. No, God has already established the position, and now we live life out of it. Theologians talk about the indicative and then the imperative, and, and, and you can think of the, the indicative or, or what God has done as the foundation of the building of your life. God has done some things. He's brought salvation to you. He's given you forgiveness. He's given you a new name and, and righteousness. And he's given you gifts. And there are so many things. He's, he's given you a new heart and, and a spirit. And based on what God has done, then the imperatives, do these things. Live this way, live this way. Love your neighbor. Love your brother and sister in Christ. Go to church. Read your Bible. But if we try to build it the other way, everything breaks down. Because there's no amount of you and I doing that will ever get us to heaven. There's no amount of us doing that gets us to that place. That's the point of the, the cross, is that we can't do it, but Jesus Christ has. And so he says, I write to you because you have overcome the evil one. At this point, you might appropriately ask, well, what do you mean by that, John? And he explains in verse 14. I'm kind of skipping ahead, but we're gonna go ahead and do that. 
I write to you, young men, verse 14, the second portion, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So John, what, is it, what does it look like for me to overcome the evil one? Do I have to like, you know, get, get some gloves? Do I, you know, do I use a sword or a gun? How do I overcome the evil one? Do I need to come up with some Christian incantations? You know, devil get away. You know, do I need to speak in tongues? You know, hold my hands in a... No, he's saying, you know what? You're strong because you've received the word of God and it abides in you. <laughs> and, and part of us maybe ought to deflate appropriately. Well, I thought it was going to be about me for a second. But no, it's about what Jesus has done in our life. The word of God dwells in you. And what does he mean by that? He talks about the gospel, the message that he received, the good news about Jesus Christ. And what he's saying, family, is that when you trust in Jesus, when you hear this message, this, this statement, Jesus Christ died for your sins in your place, defeating Satan's sin and death and offering eternal life to you through his resurrection. When we believe that statement in such a way that we, we take it into our hearts and it's reflected in the way we live, we can trust that we've overcome the evil one. Again, to quote John, who's not, or not John, to quote uh, Paul, he says in chapter two of Ephesians that our state, our state before Christ, our, our, the way we exist apart from Christ is this. We are dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. John, or sorry, Paul is telling us that, that apart from Christ, we're dead in our sins and trespasses and, and that we are separated from God. And, and what happens in salvation, what happens when you trust in God, what happens when you become strong because of the message that now abides in you is that you overcome the evil one. You no longer are a a child of wrath. You no longer are dead in your trespasses and sins. You no longer are under the authority of Satan. That's a weird thing for me to say. We live in a world where, you know, to think that, that Satan has any real power, you know, it's, it's something that's only reflected in horror movies. But we live in a world of authority. And God gave Adam and Eve authority to rule over the world. And Adam and Eve handed that authority over to Satan when they disobeyed God and obeyed Satan. And so we live as children of Adam and Eve apart from Christ. If we haven't trusted in Jesus, we live under that authority. But the moment that we trust in this gospel message is the moment that we've overcome the evil one. And because of that family, because it's our faith that overcomes the evil one, there's, there's no moment in your life where, where you can say of your life, you know what, the devils are they're getting at me and I can't obey God. I can't move forward. Things are too hard. No, you're an overcomer in Christ because of what Christ has done. And if the word of God dwells in your soul, if, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, you can overcome. You can, you can stop believing the lies that I'm not good enough or I can't or I never will be able to do X or I'm always going to struggle with this sin. You can overcome those things, not because you're awesome or because you're, you know, super willpower, but because Jesus Christ dwells within you. His word dwells within you. 
He says, I write to you, young man, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you've overcome the evil one. I'm gonna skip back to one of the things he, he says. We, we see that he kind of has these parallel statements. In verse 12, I'm writing to you little children. Well, that's not the parallel. But in 13, he says, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Then he says it again, uh, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Then he says, I write to you young men because you've overcome the evil one. And then he repeats it in verse 14. I write to you because you've overcome the evil one. And he talks about being strong and the word of God abiding. But, but he talks about children and he dresses us completely and he says this differently. I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. But then he goes and he says, I write to you children because you know the father. And, and I just want to step back and remember the fact that what does forgiveness do? It opens the door for us to know the father. It opens the door for us to know the father. God wants to know you, and he wants you to know him. Some of you don't know your fathers. Some of you know your fathers, and you don't like your fathers. God invites you to know the father. He invites you to know the father who has adopted you, who's paid the ultimate price, sending his own blood son so that you might be adopted into his family. He's he's inviting you to know him. John wants to encourage you today, and I I hope that you're encouraged by one of the things that he has said. He wants to encourage you and remind you that your sins are forgiven, and that's an amazing thing. Your sins are forgiven, and it's not because of anything you've done. And that's that's a hope-filled thing, because there's not anything that you can do that can separate you from the love of Christ. If, if it's because of Christ that you're, you're saved and forgiven, then it's going to be because of Christ that you remain saved and forgiven. He wants to encourage you because you know God. And, and maybe you've, you've felt con- disconnected from God because you've, you've believed the lie that I don't know God. That there's, there's a distance between me and God. And, and I think God is saying, I'm right here. I've shown you who I am. I've told you that I've loved you. I've called you my little child. And he's inviting you in this moment to believe those things over against any lies that would say otherwise. He, John wants to encourage us and, and remind us that we've overcome the evil one. That, that in our faith, in our trust, we've overcome the greatest that anything that Satan could do. You know, Satan cannot do anything except that which God allows him to do. And he can't send you to hell. Your sin can send you to hell. Your lack of faith in God can send you to hell. But Satan can't. And whatever Satan can do, God has overcome. That's not to say that there isn't such thing as spiritual warfare. There is. We pray and we trust and we stand and believe the gospel. But we, this is not some sort of like cosmic light versus darkness thing where, where the verdict is, is still out and we just don't know if, if God is great enough to defeat Satan. Satan and, and all of his, his buddies are 
created beings. There's nothing inside of creation that is great. There's nothing at all inside, outside creation that is greater than God. And God has overcome the evil one through you or in you. He wants us to be encouraged. Family, the good news is that all of this, all of this is as a result of what Christ has done on the cross. Jesus died on the cross. God became man, lived a perfect life that you and I should have lived, died the death that we all deserve. But as, as John says, he is the propitiation for us and he, he satisfies the, the just requirement of God the Father so that we can be called children of God, so that we can be called dear children, so that we can look at him and say, I know you, Father. If you're in this room and you've never trusted in Jesus, there's so much that God wants to do in your life and offers to do in your life. He offers to to forgive your sins, to, to bring you into a deep abiding relationship with him, to overcome your, your enemy and, and really all the obstacles of your life. He, he reorients them so that they work for your own good. He, he invites you into a life of fellowship with him, the life that you were meant to live. If, if you want to trust in that Jesus, if you want to trust in God today, uh, I, I would invite you to pray with me as we close. Um, you just pray this, God, I recognize that I am a sinner. That I, in other words, I have broken your rules and your laws. I've lived as my own boss, deciding what is right and wrong. And I, I want to turn away from all of that, turn away from trying to live my life and, and earn some sort of sense of righteousness in my own life. And I want to trust in Jesus who gives me righteousness, who offers eternal life and righteousness before you. I want to trust in him and his works and I want to have a relationship with you. Help me to live this life out in Jesus' name. If you pray that prayer, this is the day for you to know God. This is the day for you to recognize your sins are forgiven. This is the day for you to know that you've overcome the evil one. Family, God loves you, and I love you. Thanks.